What is up, podcast universe? Thousands of listeners out there. Welcome back to another episode of the Creating Magic podcast. For this episode, I'm on my own again. Danny has either gotten so tired of me that she wants me to do episodes by myself, or she truly is just encouraging me to, to take some self-initiative and, and do some episodes that I would find cool. Not really sure which. Send us a comment. Let us know what you think. Um, no, for this episode, I'm really excited to have on uh, two good friends of mine who I'm who I'm pretty close with and um, are are very into Potter in their own respect. I'm, I'm really excited to be talking with Zach and Maddie today on this episode. I actually don't think I need a content warning for this episode. I think I might have said hell once or ass once, but but really, I, I was pretty clean this whole thing. Uh, so y'all are in the clear there. Otherwise, we had a really good conversation about Harry Potter, their experience with it, as well as we, we talked a little bit about their religious beliefs and, and how the values of, of the teachings of their religion tie in with the, the teachings of Harry Potter. So I'm really excited for this. Hope you all are too. Please enjoy. And we are live. What's up, everybody? This is Steven, your favorite muggle in khakis. I'm really excited for this episode. This is something that's been in the works for a couple months now, um, and finally is a reality. I'm really excited today to be talking with two lovely, lovely people, uh, one of whom used to somewhat take orders from me, and one of whom is his wife. So, hello, Zach and Maddie. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having hey. us. How, first things first, how is social distancing going? Does this feel like a... I don't know, like a second honeymoon. It's like all this time, just the two of y'all together. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think I guess for everyone listening, like we just got married back in August. So I was we, there. Shout shouts to me for flying across the country yeah. for that. I'm just saying. <laughs> Definitely was a, a a joy to see Steve in there. So, but we've kind of did the math, figured out that we've been in quarantine for one fourth, about a fourth of our marriage, fourth of our marriage thus far, and the marriage is still going. So, yeah. props to y'all. We haven't gotten divorced yet, so, you know, maybe this is strengthening it. <laughs> I just want to say, on the note of the wedding, and I don't have tons of wedding experience, but the venue that y'all had for that reception was one of the more pretty places I have ever been. That was, I, I loved the whole, like, it felt like a greenhouse. Like, I loved that. Maybe it was an actual greenhouse. I don't remember, but, like, it had that vibe to it. And then, like, the mountain in the back and... That was really pretty, but more importantly, the tacos were incredible. The lemonade was insane. The churros, I could talk about the churros. I could do a half hour on the churros. It was really cool. That's what we were going. We're going for we're going for herbology at, at Hogwarts. That was kind of the, the theme of the of the, of the reception. The tacos are completely Harry Potter irrelevant, but <laughs> no, we just wanted to make it a good time. So I'm glad that you enjoyed it. It, it was it was absolutely awesome. Uh, that was that was so much fun. I think one of my favorite kind of after stories of of that weekend is after the reception got done. I was out there with uh, two other coworkers of ours, uh, Anna and Nicole. Nicole, you claim you listen to the podcast. So I'm gonna give you a shout out here. Uh, shouts to Nicole Silva if you're listening. Uh, if you're not, hope you and Lisa are having a great weekend. But afterwards, Anna really wanted to go get a drink somewhere. And it was like 8 o'clock, something like that, on a, on a Saturday. And, you know, in the Salt Lake City area, not a ton of places that are open for a drink at like 8.30 at night or whatever. 
So we ended up at a Chili's, which a high class establishment. Let me tell you, business gets done. Yeah, it um, where business gets done, and um, yeah, it was. It's one of those weird things. Where it's like, yeah, you know, I spent like a Friday night in a Chili's in Salt Lake City drinking a crappy margarita with Anna <laughs> and Nicole, and like it's one of those lifetime memories I'll always have, and it's just bizarre. So good times. So the best thing. Speaking of Anna, you got to tell her what Anna said to you. Oh, I don't even remember this, but I guess when you guys kind of came up and like, I got to meet you guys, I guess Anna said something along the lines of like, thank you so much to thank you for coming. Like saying that to me as the bride. <laughs> and, I mean, it was totally over my head. There was so much going on that day. I like, can I even tell you what people said to me and stuff? But then she posted it on her Instagram um, yeah. the next day, like a picture of her hiking. And she's like, Gotta love this trip, except for that awkward moment when I thank a bride for coming to her own wedding. Well, I mean, look, as good as the tacos and churros were, the reception would have been a lot more awkward if you decided not to show up for the wedding. True. That would have been really heartbreaking. So, really awkward me, especially. Yeah. So she was on to something with the thank you for coming. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, also, yeah. Yeah. And the last tie in I'll make of your wedding and Harry Potter is. Again, the herbology, that was, that was a good one. I'll give, you, I'll give you points for that. But also, Zach, your brother looks like Newt's commander. Like he, cause at the time, I'm not sure what he's looking like now, but he had that kind of like curl thing going with his hair where it was kind of like a jerry curl almost. And it had like the very Eddie Redmayne Newt's commander look. So I, I remember thinking that, and he was in this snazzy suit and the whole thing, and yeah. I can see that. I'll, I'll vouch for that. He's a, he's a good-looking dude. He's got some good hair. It's, it's something to make me at least jealous over, so... Look, as someone with great hair, I know exactly what he feels like. And yeah, it's, it's nice to have good hair. I feel that. So let's get going here with the Harry Potter stuff. First things first, um, what houses are you both in? Oh. I'm in, I'm in uh, Gryffindor. Um, the last test he took did say Hufflepuff. But it was like a test on like Instagram, so that didn't count. The official like Harry Potter like website one, I it was Gryffindor. So. I don't know, Stephen. You can vouch for which one you think he can fall in, but I am a true Gryffindor. Every test I've ever taken, that's what it says. You would say that. Sorry. <laughs> well, so I, Maddie, I am going to ask you what what qualities do you think you embody about Gryffindor? Why you feel you relate to that house? I will say on Zach. I mean, Zach's a jock. Zach was big buff college cheerleader. Gryffindor is the jocks. I'm telling you, this is that that feels easy to me. It's nice to be validated. That's hilarious. Because <laughs> yeah, Gryffindor is all like, hey, bro, let's play some Quidditch. Oh, yeah, like we won the Quidditch match. Aren't we really cool? Rah, rah, Gryffindor. And Zach's nothing if not just, you know, a muscular jock. No brain. No brain about him. Just just muscle. Well, what, what we started this was Maddie questioning whether my validity in Gryffindor, <laughs> what we want to turn it over to is Maddie's validity. Why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just so funny because we have like other friends who've t- said like, oh, Zach is so athletic. Like Zach is so athletic. And I think Zach is athletic, but I don't feel like you yourself qualify. Like Zach will never say like, oh, I'm athletic. Um, and I, I grew up very much like always playing sports, always doing different things. Like varsity sports throughout high school. I played a little bit of lacrosse in college. And so 
I don't know. It's just funny because I guess on my level of athletic, like athleticism is a little bit different than Zach's, but everybody thinks Zach is an athlete. So I guess maybe you are. It's nice to confuse someone. So, I mean, who knows? I, I certainly can't define what is athletic versus what is not, but I can certainly vouch for Zach being a, a physical freak. So when Zach, so Zach and I got to know each other when he was an intern in my office in Tampa a couple of summers ago. And Zach would come work out with me at the Jewish community center. Shouts to all my Jews out there. What's up. And I would be able, I would barely be able to walk out of there. I'd be in so much pain. It's like, we would do things with the, the dumbbells and the squat rack thing. And I, the best comparison I've ever come up with for Zach is for anyone out there for, of the thousands of listeners, if you've ever seen the X-Men, there's that blue gorilla that's always wearing a suit. That's like part of the X-Men. I don't remember his name, but he's kind of got like the mutton chops thing. The and beast. Yeah, the beast. Exactly. There we go. That is Zach to a T. Uh, he's not blue. As far as I know, he's not a gorilla. But that's Zach. I feel like it's somewhat of a compliment. I'll take that. Yeah. Know. Zach is really good at the gym. Like, Zach is really fit. And I think at the gym, like, you definitely know what you're doing. And you're very strong. Yeah. But, but I, I'll never show up at a basketball court and hold my own. I can, I can buy that. Put it that way. So, but I don't know. But, I mean, vouching for Maddie, in all seriousness, I, I can see her part of a Gryffindor. She definitely exhibits a lot of great qualities, you know, standing up for friends and for her beliefs and things like that. Very brave, very loyal. Um, and I think that definitely defines Maddie, uh, at least in my eyes. So, I love that y'all are just supportive and encouraging and empowering of each other. That is too cute. Uh, this is a great natural tie-in for the first ad of this podcast, which is for me, Single Witches. If you're out there, I'm looking for someone who I can support as much as Zach supports Maddie. Slide into the DMs. But you know, no, so, us, health, all, us health insurance workers, we got some great perks and we know how to provide. So, Look, I get 30% off all products inside a CVS health store. If you are a single witch or a witch author looking to make a change and you like 30% off CVS, look, you can put up with me. I'm your man. I'll write, I'll write you a letter of recommendation for any witches out there. Thanks. Um, so let's let's talk about and we'll start with Maddie and then and Zach, you know, afterwards. How did Harry Potter first come into your life, be it the books, the movies, any sort of memories you have about that time? Yeah. Um I as corny as this might sound, I feel like Harry Potter has been in my life as long as I can remember. My parents um are both avid readers, so as the books are coming out, um we started reading them. Um, I like distinctly remember I was in like the second grade and I think I was reading like the first or second book and I came across a word that I didn't know. So I went to like my aide and I was kind of like, Hey, like, what is this word? It was idiot. (laughs) Felt kind of like an idiot asking her how to, what that word was. But, um, like I went to Barnes and Nobles for book releases. I was at midnight premieres for the movie releases. Um, when the sixth book came out, my family were all fighting over who was going to read it. So we had to like sit down and read it as a family. <laughs> so no one knew what was going to happen first. Um, so I don't know. I kind of just grew up with both the books and the movies, but I 
I was very strong in the books, I think, before the movies came along. So what else, I'm I'm assuming, because you said your parents were readers, what else were you reading kind of back as a kid? Like, were you into a lot of the the fantasy sci-fi stuff? Like, what what was your thing? Um, yeah, that's, I think I was, my dad is really into, like, pop culture. So, like, growing up, you know, we were watching Indiana Jones, like, Star Wars. Um, I really loved the Magic Treehouse books. <laughs> but, you know, those ones that went on forever. Um... I think historical and nonfiction as well. I was just, I just love to read, still do. So Harry Potter was a fun world that you could kind of like escape into. And I think I was really excited about the hype that came with like the movies and just kind of knowing like more than just the books, like I'm trying to learn as much about it as I could. Yep. <laughs> Zachary, when you weren't lifting weights, uh... Were you were you reading Harry Potter books? How how, how did these come into your life? Uh, great question. I I think Maddie's story and I, my story is very different. I think uh, looking at least on my upbringing, my parents aren't readers. Um, my dad always has read. He's a physical therapist. He's always read physical therapy books. My mom doesn't really read too much. Um, and so I got into it actually from my aunts. Uh, my grandma has a cabin near a lake. And so that we kind of spend our summers there. And so I remember a lot of my aunts were reading the books and so kind of got picked up there. And that's where I kind of noticed these books and things like that. And, you know, to answer kind of your previous question for Maddie, I definitely was interested in, in fantasy books, um, especially, you know, fantasy adventure type things. And so um, this book kind of fit me uh, pretty well and things like that. But, you know, being you know, perfectly honest, I don't really remember a whole lot from reading the books. Um, I don't know if I just don't have a great memory or just quickly breeze through the books, but like, I remember I love the books and I read all, all of them and, you know, waited for each of the new ones to come out and stuff like that. But I think for me, a lot of my kind of discovery, it was through the movies. I'm a very visual person. So it was very, um, great to be, you know, go to those midnight premieres and things like that and walk and see the movies there. Um, and then I think kind of the last step of my journey was at least, um, after Maddie and I got married, uh, we got, so for Thanksgiving, we drove down to my grandparents down in Phoenix. Um, so it's about like a 10, 12 hour drive. Um, and Maddie had the first book, or first two books loaded up on her audible. And so we started listening to them there. And then, you know, as time went on, we ended up going through all seven. Um, and at least for me, that was a whole new discovery. There was, uh, Maddie would kind of laugh at me that, um, you know, saying that I didn't read the books or something like that, but it really was like a whole, like it was like reading for the first time again, which is really cool to be in that, in the midst of it. And so um, even though my memory is not good, at least I can read the same book multiple times and it's like reading it for the first time. So it was great to to go back and and rediscover a lot of the details that I'd missed. So. Yeah. I, I love the audiobooks. My one quibble is that, it's always somewhat uncomfortable listening to like an older British man try to do like an eleven-year-old girl's accent. Yeah, it's just like it, it, I get I get it, but it's like, ugh. Um, anyway, I digress. So, I guess Maddie, primarily for you, but of course, Zach, I think you, know, you absolutely could have a perspective on this too. Is you know, the first time you engaged with the series again, I, I, it doesn't matter if it was the books, audiobooks, the movies, you know, what have you. 
like what what did it mean to you like what what were some of the things you took from Harry Potter and fast forward to now like as we're sitting here today like what like has that perspective changed right like I know like when I grew up I read through the books and for me it was a great escape right not that I had anything to escape from necessarily but it was it was nice just to put myself into the pages into this beautiful world that J.K. Rowling built and just you know visualize these stories but as I've gotten older, it's become so much more of a thing as I've, you know, I, I don't think I'm that bright, but I've become, you know, more bright than I was as an 11 year old. And like, I can see the allegories and, and I can critically read through these cautionary tales about the perils of, of diverging from friends and the power of choice and the power of love and all those things. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the long way of saying, you know, what, as a kid or in Zach's case, as a slightly older kid, Right. What what did the story first mean to you when you first went through it versus how do you think about it now? Um, I think I was similar to you when I first started reading it. It was kind of like escapism a little bit. Like that's something I love about books is that you can read them and that it just transforms you into this whole other world. And something that I really admire about J.K. Rowling's and I think I admired her as a kid. Maybe I like didn't realize it, but it was just like the detail and it was fun reading it as a kid and being like, Oh, like Carrie, Ron, Hermione, like these are people like someone around my age and they're on these really cool adventures and they're like really experiencing um, just like this funness of life. And I mean, I'll totally meant when I turned 11, I was a little sad that I never got my letter. You know, I was one of those kids and um, I think it was just such a cool story to get like kind of swept up in. And now being older and looking at it, I, I do still love the magic of it. I love, but also kind of like what you're saying, I am more in an awe of JK Rowling's writing abilities. I love her ability to kind of hint at something early in the book. And then that's like, by the end, like she really ties it back in and it's like, Oh, like that meant something. And so I think now I can maybe appreciate a little bit more of her, writing style but just as a kid I just love the story and now especially being married and like being away from my family I do really treasure those moments that my family like came together with Harry Potter um I remember the Universal Studios park of Harry Potter had like recently opened and so like my sister was in Utah for school and we flew her out and we all went to go to Harry Potter world and um it just has kind of created these really fun family memories for my own family that I hope maybe, you know, way in the future when Zach and I have kids that we could also maybe create some of these fun families, these magical experiences to the Harry Potter books. Zach, I'm giving you the stare down right now. (laughs) I know. I knew it was coming. And for anybody listening, I don't, I think the stereotypical, like when you get married, it's usually, you know, your parents or your in-laws, um, you know, that pressure you like, all right, when, when do we have grandchildren? Like, when are you guys going to have kids and stuff like that? But I would like to formally say that if you combine both of our parents, it's not even half the pressure that Stephen <laughs> gives us to have children. Like the biggest proponent in our life to have children is Stephen Muggle and Khaki's Hatter. Look, let me just say that I will make a fantastic uncle for any of my friend's children because I am going to shower them with a world of gifts, a cacophony of gifts. There's going to be Harry Potter books. There's going to be Harry Potter onesies. There's going to be Harry Potter toys. 
there's going to be I, anything that you can do for a baby. I don't really know babies that well. I don't know like what they need, right? But if you can find a way to Harry Potterize it, it's going to be Harry Potterized. And look, I, you know, I have no hope to be a father in my life because, well, I mean, basically everything about me. So I'm going to enjoy the the ability to spoil a child Harry Potter stuff through my friends. And who do I talk to every single week? Hello, Zachary. So, uh, <laughs> I, did, I, you know, whoever's listening to this, there's going to be someone with some kind of creative abilities where they can, you know, conceptualize Harry Potter concepts into baby products. And you were the number one target for these ads. And, you know, like you're going to be the one number one seller when we have a child. So, you know, for, you know, baby bottles, onesies, all this stuff, you know, I'm just send, saying, send them to Stephen Hatter. Stephen, as a kid, did you have like the Harry Potter shampoo? Harry Potter shampoo? I, no. For Christmas one year, we got like shampoo body wash that was like Harry Potter. <laughs> what is this? I'm going to Google this. I mean, I don't even know if it was like, you know, FDA approved or whatever. Also, here... <laughs> Here's what I will say, generally speaking, about the kind of Harry Potter shampoo. There it is. Um, wow. And hand soap. Blue raspberry shampoo and foaming red cherry hand soap. And it come, this is remarkable. Uh, I bet I can find this on eBay still. Anywho, what I will generally say about my childhood and kind of how it coincides with Harry Potter is, while my parents are incredibly supportive of everything I've ever wanted to do, and this is by no way a, a judgment or a slight at them, I, I promise, my parents never really got into Harry Potter at all. My sister's not into it. I was really a community of one in my family, which is fine, um, right? But, I, you know, I think if I had said to my parents, like, Harry Potter shampoo, they would have been like, you have L'Oreal right there. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> right? Um, which is, is something I've noticed is a is a difference it, for me versus a lot of my friends. I think a lot of my friends, like Maddie, you were just talking about, like your families, if not, were fully into it. And Zach, you too, like if not fully into it, you had someone else who was there who was engaged in the story and engaged in the fandom. Um, and I don't really have a question there so much as that just is really nice. And I, I'm, I'm envious of that because my mother calls Hufflepuff Huff and stuff. She calls <laughs> Dumbledore Dusseldorf. Uh, Hogwarts is Warthogs, Butterbeer is Buzzle Brew or something like that. Um, so that's where I'm at. Yeah, and now I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I want to send my condolences. I, it sounds, you have great parents and things like that, but I don't know if that's a, any kind of jabs towards you. So I just want to, you know, send out my sympathy to, to you right now. Yeah. Um, so like, before I get in trouble with my mother, Let's transition to a section I'm really excited to talk about because, again, for the thousands of listeners out there, uh, Zach and I talk dang near, you know, every day, if not, you know, if not a, hand, a couple times a week. And one of my favorite things that's happened in recent months is Zach and Maddie will call me randomly with just a handful of Harry Potter questions, right? Things like, hey, we were watching the movies and we didn't really understand how this plot point ties in, right? Or, hey, what was the name of that thing? Like, questions that are really good thought-provoking questions and so uh, I want to start and kind of get into this by asking you both uh favorite book favorite movie and least favorite book least favorite movie okay yeah I can start you want book or movie first whatever you're prepared to talk about sir okay um I guess I can start start with movie just because that was kind of the first way that I interacted with Harry Potter was with through the movies and stuff like that um 
you know, so starting out, I think my favorite movie was definitely number four. Um, number four is by far, you know, who doesn't dream of, of being called as, you know, the Triwizard Champion for your school. Spoken uh, like a true Gryffindor. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> so, you know, I kept, you know, all growing up, I was hoping that Harriman High School would have some kind of form of this where I could get chosen. But, you know, it didn't happen. But I did love you number four, like the concepts of, you know, these single students getting selected and things like that. And then kind of how it envelops into the, the overall plot was fantastic. Um, that being said though, you know, after reading the books again and things like that, I do have to say my least favorite movie is number four. Um, and I know that sounds a little bit, you know, contradictory. I love, so, you know, like I said, with, with the Goblet of Fire, I love, you know, how they were able to visualize, you know, the dragon um, the maze, like all these different cool concepts. I, I thought it was fantastic. Very enjoyable to watch. Um, however, at the same time, though, I say it's at least my favorite movie because of how much it wasn't able to capture. And Maddie and I have talked about this and it's definitely like number four. I, you know, I'm glad they made number seven into a two part series, but if there's any other books that could have been made into a two part series, it's number four. And so I think there's a lot of plot points that were or not plot points that were missed, but like a lot of scenes that would have been enjoyable to watch, um, you know, especially, you know, the World Cup that was pretty anticlimactic where, you know, the, the great imagery of seeing all these wizards convening for the World Cup and to see the stadium. And it was just very, very fascinating to watch and things like that. And then for Fudge, who in the book didn't release the, you know, release the or start the games. Um, but you know, he starts the games in the movie and then it immediately goes to the Weasley's tent. So you just kind of miss that whole, as well as like some other, a lot of different like, um, characters as well as like plot stories. I don't know. So I think it was just, there was a lot of mist. Um, but at the same time, it's still a fantastic movie. So I don't, I don't really know what to think about that, but it is definitely like my favorite, but also the one I probably gripe around the most. So then Maddie, why don't you give your your movie selections as well. We can talk about those and then talk about the books afterwards. Yeah. Um, my least favorite movie is probably the fifth one. Um, I really like the fifth book and I just felt like the movie didn't capture how good it is. <laughs> um, and I also feel like kind of like what Zach was saying, like the fourth book is so jam packed with stuff. And I feel like the fifth one slows down a little bit. And so I felt like everything that happens in the fifth book, they could have put in the movie, but for whatever reasons, they kind of like twisted stuff around. And I think for people who just watch the movies, it's a little confusing. And so <laughs> least favorite is the fifth. Um, my favorite movie is probably the third, just because I think it hits on everything from the book really well. So, so let's talk about that. That's actually a really good transition into and understanding full well that because of time limits in movies, you can't have everything from a book page onto a movie screen. I get that. And also, you know, on, on a visual medium, you can't get inside of Harry's mind perspective the same way you can in a book. On board. Totally understand that. Um, what would you all say? Because I think it's the, the common line of symmetry there in both your answers was the movies could be a lot better if they included a lot of the plot points from the books, which is, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, beyond just those movies, thinking about the movie series as a whole, what are some of the more objectionable things like y'all wish were in the movies that weren't? Um, 
that's a really good question. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like kind of exactly what you're saying is that like the movies kind of miss the magic sometimes a little bit because you have to kind of skip over things. It, you get the overall gist of it, but it misses those like little aspects of it that made it so good. Something that I have a hard time with the movies is that like, I don't feel like you get to know Dumbledore and Harry's relationship as well. Like those end of year talks that Dumbledore and Harry have at like the end of every book is just really builds the relationship and you can understand how important Dumbledore is. And I feel like in the movies, it's a little bit easier to make fun of Dumbledore. Um, and then we, I, my, I love in the fourth book, the whole Winky and Crouch, that whole little plot story. And that whole thing kind of gets like over in the movie, like skipped over in the movie. Um, I don't know. Do you have any, Zach? Um, I don't have anything specific. That's a very good question. I think for me, just echoing off of what Maddie says, I think a lot of the relationships are very trimmed and skimmed. Um, and at least for me, I, we've kind of talked about this, like one of the big themes of Harry Potter is, is family and friends and love and things like that. Um, and so I think kind of the focus on that, but of course you still have to stay true to the plot. And so I think um, something this the movies did skim over was a lot of those relationships. So like Maddie said, uh, Harry's relationship with Dumbledore um, I would have loved to see more of Lupin and that, like, for instance, you know, kind of when um, Lupin explodes on Harry um, uh, in the sixth book. In the seventh. In the seventh book, thank you. Um, and so I think a little bit more development of the relationships, especially with uh, Harry's close, um, I would say maybe like the second ring of family. He's got his first ring, which is, you know, obviously Ron and Hermione, and then he's got a second ring of kind of the outer people that he's maybe not as close with as the other two, but I think a little more development there would have been awesome. Also in the seventh book or in the seventh movie, how they don't show the whole like Dudley Harry scene. Oh yes. I am such a person for character development. And that was just like so amazing when Dudley's like, I don't think you're an idiot. And then they just completely cut that out of the movie. That was really sad. Yeah. They, I've seen the deleted scenes of those and it's just like, Oh, why couldn't you have included that? Like, a minute less of that terrible Draco redemption arc that they kept trying to show and like give us Dudley. But that that's just it, right? There are some things like the Draco redemption arc that are very much real in the books, but they're hard to portray in the movie because in the books it's in Harry's thoughts where he keeps thinking, I saw Draco lower his wand against Dumbledore. Like, and that's what Harry keeps holding on to is like, no, Draco made bad choices and isn't the best of humans, but He's not what, what like he's not a de- he's not a real deputy. He's not what they're portraying him to be necessarily, right? In yeah. the movies, you can't show that because it's Harry's thoughts. I get that, but to Zach, to your point about the relationships and the bonds, so many characters get shortchanged. Whether it's Sirius in Goblet of Fire, I mean, honestly, I think a lot of Sirius in Order of the Phoenix, even though obviously he's prominent in that movie, I think still kind of compared to his book role got a little shortchanged right i again some of it's having to condense for movies but like dean thomas seamus poor jenny like a lot of movie characters not that they had necessarily extensive plot arcs in the books but there was enough there to make it more than just like two random guys who live with ron and harry 
the big yeah. one, the big one for me was Dobby. Oh, or Dobby. Dobby. Or Dobby just gets shortchanged the whole like the whole movie series. Like he's, I mean, I'm trying to remember to be exact. I haven't really counted how many times he's on screen, but you you know he has major you know major uh, um, screen time in number mm-hmm. two, which is obvious. Um, but you know he's not in number four. Um, and I don't think he really shows up until like, he doesn't really have much of a role in the movies until the seventh. Right. Uh, like, yeah, he plays a, he, in the books, at least he plays a fairly decent part in, in six when Harry's trying to track Draco and figure out what Draco's. Yeah. But then there's also kind of like the category of things that would have been fun to see, but certainly I don't need. Right. And like, for me, the number one example I can think of is Lee Jordan. Like Lee Jordan is not critical to the plot in any way, shape, or form. And no offense to, to the Lee heads out there, but you know he's fun. He's the Quidditch commentator. He he's a foil for Fred and George. You know, I've met the actor Luke Youngblood. Uh, he's like a fun guy. He would have been great in the movies, like more than when he's in the first one or whatever. But you know, he's not necessary. But it would have been just a great ad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think another one for me at least, and this isn't like an original thought, so I can't can't credit this, but pretty pretty well stated but peeves no peeves in the movies like i thought peeves would have been a great kind of like um you know point for humor things like that and i don't know if that wasn't kind of the vibe they were going for with the movies but i mean he's not in it at all so that's kind of disappointing yeah so they did film peeves in sorcerer stone like there's i i don't think i've seen deleted scenes or anything but they had an actor cast for it and they did some filming with him and I forget the exact reason why, other than just it was on the cutting room floor. But I, I don't quote me on this Potterverse. I'm so sorry if I'm getting the story wrong. But it was something along the lines of like it was just too ridiculous. Um, like he was just too like too fun. Too funny sounds bizarre, but like it was just too crazy to really include and make it like a realistic element of the movies, which is a shame. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, but yeah, so let's talk about the books now. Um, and you know, Zach, I will allow audiobooks to be uh, an acceptable interpretation of the question. Uh, favorite book, least favorite book. I'll let Maddie start with this one. If okay, let's start. It, it was hard to choose a least favorite because they're all kind of special. And least favorite being not that you dislike it, but that of the seven, maybe it's not the first one you're returning to every time. Um. I think for me, that would probably be the second one, Chamber of Secrets. Really good, cool story, but yeah, just nothing stands out to me. Favorite book is the fourth one. I just, like, it. so much goes on in it. It kind of changes the game, I feel like, of the series, and it just gets me stoked every time I read it. <laughs> yeah, and, and on that note, and again, uh, I claim no original thought over this because this is something, I mean, many people have thought, but I, Jason Concepcion at Binge Mode really uh, conveyed eloquently. I think conventional wisdom tells you, if you're reading the series for the first time, that the series is going to end with Voldemort and Harry finally meeting and and sorting out you know th- that battle. But J.K. Rowling just plays with time and the plot and just throws that wrench in the fourth book. Hey, Voldemort's back. They're meeting. This is happening. It's like, well, where does the series go from here? Is that like, we thought that was going to be the climax. If that's not the climax, where is this thing going? And it's just, it's so brilliant. And the way that 
again, like Maddie, you said it kind of at the top here, the way that she's able to throw in these clues and these things that mean maybe not so much, right? At the time you're reading them, but when you get to the end of book four, and like, wait a minute, he saw, you know, Barty Crouch on the map, Polyjuice Potion was being stolen, right? All these things add up. And it's this brilliant, it's almost like a murder mystery, like like a murder on the Orient Express. Like it, it's it's this beautiful, beautiful moment of, of realization where it's like, oh, like she she knows what she's doing here. Like this isn't like a children's series with some like, you know, good average author. This is a work of art. Yeah. It just crafted so well. And there's there's so many things that I got excited for in the fourth book too. Like, yeah, the Tri-Wizard Tournament was so exciting. I thought the Yule Fall was so fun. Um, I guess like for me, the fourth one just really lit up my imagination as I was reading it. And there was just all these elements that were just so exciting to me. And it's just fun. It's just a fun read. And the, the other thing I love about, and again, there's so many things. Like I say the other thing, but you know, it's far from the only. What I love about Goblet of Fire is it's a really nice controlled, but really significant expansion of the universe, right? Like the Quidditch world cup, all of a sudden Harry's walking through the camps and hearing all these different wizards and witches and realizing that it's not just this tiny little school in Scotland, right? There's this whole world of, of wizardry and you get exposed to little bits of their cultures and things like that, right? You get to the Triwizard tournament and you see the differences in schooling and that, a, Hogwarts isn't the only school, but B, there's different ways of how the different cultures think through their education. I think that's really neat. Yeah, it's um, it's it's really, really brilliant. I, I couldn't agree anymore. And while we're talking about the Triwizard Tournament book four, this thought hit me, Zach. If you ever wanted to do a cosplay, and I'm not really one advocating for cosplay because I don't do that as this has been well established on this podcast, but you could pull off a Cedric Diggory because he's kind of like the hunky guy of, of the series. He's got like the jaw, he's got the dark hair, you know, you, you can make it work. Okay. Yeah. I'll take that one. I, um, I think Maddie and I have talked about it. I've never been, and maybe this needs to be edited out. So Danny, if you're listening, maybe, you know, if, if you can expect some hate for on, uh, uh, some hate mail from or from fans or something like that. I've never been to a Comic Con ever, so um, I think that's like something that I want to do. You know, like I would love to go to a Comic Con and um, fully engage and things like that. Oh my so, god! I, I see some <laughs> I see some excitement from Steven. So I don't know if that's well. So what's exciting for me? I mean, apart from that's just awesome. So I only started going to conventions and different events uh, 2018. I've only, I've really kind of, as I said, growing up, my Harry Potter community was a community of one. Um, and it wasn't, it was literally until I moved to Tampa for work um, that I started going to engaging in this fan community and realizing there was a fan community. I didn't even know. Like I didn't know there was this whole Instagram world of people that were up the globe and there are all these events and I've only been going for, two years now but when i go don't get me wrong i love all of the friends i hang out with there it's a great experience but i have joined a group whereas if i can get my friends like my real life friends start coming to these things oh my goodness once this pandemic is over look uh, we will find a way to make this happen i am so excited That's you said yeah let me you we'll talk on you know when everything finishes up and stuff like that because i would be thoroughly interested and at least for me um, you know, my prioritization, I've, I've, you know, this is all contributed, uh, from Steven, but I definitely think leaky con would probably be my number one choice. 
Um, yeah, and then Leaky is the the premier Harry Potter specific convention. It's one of the yeah. only that's Harry Potter specific, mind you. But um, you know, it's thousands of people come. Um, knock on wood. Is there wood around here? Yep. Um, who knows what's going to happen with this pandemic? But right now, they're still planning on having two different events this year. One in Orlando at the end of July and one in uh, Denver in October. And those are insane. Um, <laughs> there's something for everybody there. They they bring the actors in. They have tons of great panels and, and Q&As with the actors. And that's super fun. Um, like if, if, if you're into hearing perspectives of the people who were there and, and the ones who did it, right? The ones who were there on set. Uh, like for instance, Chris Rankin, who played Percy, you'll never be able to watch the series the same whenever he's on screen. He said his sole intention whenever they were blocking out scenes was always to get as physically close to to you know Harry, Ron, and Hermione as he could because he knew that they would never edit the three of them out of the movie. And mm-hmm. so if they were on screen and he was near them, he was on screen. Um, <laughs> and I th- it's it's clever. It's great. It's good stuff. Like that's something I learned at a convention. Um, there, there are panels that are fan-led, which are absolutely incredible. And some are super thought-provoking. Some are super silly. Some are really practical. Like if you're a cosplayer, uh, I have some good friends, uh, Haley, Michael, and Chelsea, um, who who did a cosplay panel on how to create cosplays and things like that. Uh, there's an Etsy shop coming to real life is the best way I can think to describe it. There's a marketplace where all these fan artists and fan creators just sell all their stuff. And and Danny and I spend hours each day like moseying through looking at every single piece of merch there, um, which is incredible. There's cosplay contests. There's karaoke. There's a big Yule ball that, I don't dance, but I go to and sit in the back grumpily. Um, you know, it's just, it's incredible. It's such a great event. And not to get too pandemic forward about this, but I really hope that it happens this year. Cause I know it's such a great event for everyone in the wizarding community. Yeah. So, yeah. Zach, we got to get you there. I know. Well, it sounds fun. Like, I mean, I think they all sound like they all look like they have fun activities and stuff like that. But I think to your point is, is definitely, uh, I, I think I get engaged. I kind of nerd out with a lot of different things. I, I do like Star Wars, um, you know, Lord of the Rings, Marvel, like kind of stereotypical, like big stuff. I don't really get into some of the other stuff like Star Trek or or some of the other things that, uh, some of the comic cons and so. But I definitely by far engage most with Harry Potter. And so I think focusing on, you know, like going to a leaky con where it's just Harry Potter focused is would be, is definitely the goal. Yeah, and and. I don't want to spend too much time talking here about Leaky as much as I love it, just because there's more important things to talk about. But yeah, Leaky's cool because you are fully immersed in Harry Potter for three days, four days, whatever. The other conventions that I go to so far are fun as well, but for a completely different reason, right? So, like for instance, I go, or I went last year, I was going to go this year to Emerald City Comic Con, which is a massive convention in Seattle, uh, one of the biggest in, in the world. Um, one of the biggest in America, for sure, for the world. I have no idea if that's accurate, but. <laughs> There's not like Harry Potter specific programming necessarily that happens there, but it's the marketplace is not Harry Potter specific again, but it's humongous. It's, it's overwhelmingly fun and vibrant. And even though I don't know half the cosplay, they look like a bunch of scary warriors or ninjas or, or whatever's right. Like sexy murder. You know, it, it, it's overwhelming beyond belief, but it's still really cool to see the craft and, you know, I go for the couple actors, right? Like I went to Emerald City to see Rupert Grant who played Ron, Jason Isaacs who played Lucius Malfoy. Um, 
like stuff like that, right? Like it, it's a whole different vibe. It's it's not the same vibe, but it, it's cool. Anywho, I have gotten us so far off track. Um, Zachary, tell us about your favorite uh, and least favorite books, audiobooks. Okay. Um, I'll start off with least favorite. Um, and this is where I don't know if I'm going to get uh, get a lot of flack for this, but I'm going to have to say my least favorite is number one. Um, and it's, you know, like, again, going back to Maddie's point, I do love them all. And it's all a very matter of perspective of, you know, putting them all on the same scale. Um, I think, you know, if I were to go back and read it, if I were to skip any one of them, it definitely would be number one. Um, you know, you, you do have to contribute, you know, that's where Harry discovers the world, the wizarding world and kind of sets up this plot, you know, the story for everything to follow, which is definitely essential. But now that I have the understanding of what every, who everyone is and the plot and everything like that, I feel more comfortable skipping number one than I would any of the other books. Um, you know, and I think essentially, I don't know. I think when you look at the plot as an overall, um, I think things really, you know, for instance, I don't know. I feel like number two plays a bigger part and number three plays a bigger part and so on and so forth in the overall plot of, you know, the Horcruxes and defeating Voldemort and things like that than number one does. Um, again, it, number one is a great book, so I don't want to, I don't want to dish on it on number one by any means. Um, and then my favorite, um, I do love number four, but just to stay fresh, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to say number seven. Um, Maddie and I are huge fans of character development. We've kind of mentioned before, but like we love watching, you know, TV shows and seeing how characters develop and, and overall and things like that. And so I think, um, you know, looking at number seven is, is definitely where you see a lot of the development of the characters. Um, and especially a lot of the kind of the um, less prominent characters. Um, that's where you develop, you know, the love for for Luna. At least for me, that's where I kind of, you know, that was a locked uh, number seven. It was like you really learned to love Luna there. Uh, Neville, you know, shows up. I think a lot of the Hogwarts cast really huddles around Harry. And so you see a lot of support there where I don't know, like, I think obviously like you can vouch for like in the seventh book that people cheered on Harry as he competed in the Triwizard Cup. But I think in Harry overall, Harry's overall quest of defeating Voldemort, that's where you see a lot of people jump on board. Um, you know, you know, rather than just kind of this, yeah, we support you and that's about it. Right in number seven when they join forces. And um, I think it's, you know, like, I don't know. I just think there's a lot of great characters. Like I said, Luna, Neville, McGonagall, you learned to, you know. I feel like Ginny it. steps up in the seventh one. Like, yeah, like Ginny, yeah. a lot of characters step up in the seventh one. Then you're like, wow, they weren't a waste of space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just, every time we mention book Ginny, I have to just give a little bit of a a lamentation here about how poorly they did Ginny in the movies. Because Gin, book Ginny might be one of my like top three favorite characters. Um, I'd argue she is probably the strongest portrayal of, of unrelenting feminism in the books. I love how fierce and loyal and tough she is. She's independent. Uh, she, I, I, they, I know they use the word a lot because of her hair color, but like she's fiery. I, I love Book Ginny. Book Ginny's great. And the movies just make her bland and just kind of set dressing, which is a shame, but let's not harp on that. Um, let's talk a little bit. I'm just going to you know, open commentary about how y'all feel about Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald so far and, and how you feel about that piece of the franchise and, and where it's headed. 
I'll let Maddie start. Oh, it's it's so hard because when it first came out, I was so stoked because I love this idea of like re-entering the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Um, and I remember like with the first one, yeah, like I was just stoked on life after watching it. And then the second one, I was like, Jude Law, like there's nobody I love more than him. Sorry, Zach. <laughs> and, um, yeah, sorry, no. Zach, not even your rippling muscles and strong jawline can compete. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> and so... I think if you look at them just as movies, they're very entertaining. But um, as you mentioned earlier, Stephen, like it was a lot about things that happened in Fantastic Beasts that kind of made us take a step back and be like, wait a second, when you're trying to like understand the plot line of it, if you're trying to see how it relates back to Harry Potter, there's a lot of things that um, just make it not quite as magical as I think Harry Potter was kind of going back to like, what I said earlier, I just love what the books about there's so many, so many of these little details that just add up and just make you smile. I feel like, and just make you so intrigued. And I feel like with fantastic beast, it's a cool series, but I'm worried that if it uh, isn't done well, it's going to flop and kind of kill a little bit of that Harry Potter world. Yeah. And I think, I mean, just to echo what Maddie said, I think for instance, I I'm thirsty to get more Harry Potter um, and so I love, you know, the thought process of, Hey, we're getting more, more Harry Potter content. Um, this is more, you know, exploring Harry Potter, the Harry, like the wizarding world and things like that, especially Dumbledore's past, um, past. Um, I think for me, I kind of took it at face value and after at least the first time I watched it and was pumped, liked it a lot and things like that. And then as I watched it again, it's, it gets a little bit more confusing. Um, Especially, I Stephen shared a um, fan videos the Super Carlin Brothers, um, super entertaining to watch and things like that. And they have a great video on um, how Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald failed, according to Pixar. Um, and I'm, you know, I definitely like Pixar as much as the next individual, but they had some interesting points and things like that. Um, I think the story gets a little bit confusing. Or I'm not really sure to this point, like, are we following, is it the story of a new Scamander or is it the story of Dumbledore? Because it seems like, you know, the first one was, was great and definitely was Newt's story and it was fun. Um, touched on some themes and some, some, uh, some items from the Harry Potter world, the seven books. Um, but the crimes of Grindelwald is really where it kind of links those two. And it transit seems to transition to a story more about Dumbledore and Grindelwald's relationship. Um, and so that's where I'm a little bit confused on kind of like, where do we go from here? Um, so I, I like it. I, I definitely, you know, I'm excited to see the next one. I'd be lying if I said I w- wouldn't welcome it. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm just curious. I don't know. And from the context of the seven books, it's a little bit muddy. Yeah. I, and I know we've talked about this off mic before. I absolutely think the series is a story about, Dumbledore just through the vehicle of Newt's commander, right? Like a absolute, I mean, don't get me wrong. Newt is compelling. And I think Newt has a really fascinating story. Um, and, you know, especially I, I had this conversation with someone earlier today, actually. And I don't remember if this is officially canon or if this is just widely theorized. So I, I apologize for any of the, 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 the quibblers out there who are going to micro nitpick on that. But, 
you know, Newt's portrayal of, at least I believe, and again, wherever it's canon, but someone who's on the autism spectrum, right? I think is a, like a really subtle element that whether you're talking about just pure acting choices and, and actor portrayal, you want to talk about representation in, in mass media, I think is really fascinating and really nice. But, but yeah, absolutely. The story is about Dumbledore. The story is about how Dumbledore went from this wide-eyed, cunning, ambitious child to a very conflicted man who restrains himself from power by kind of hiding at this school and is forced to come out into the limelight and confront what you probably could call his biggest mistake, if you will, which is Grindelwald, right? And and the way he kind of helped build up Grindelwald when they were kids and there's the whole love tie-in and all that, right? And I, I think it's a story that's supposed to give you the backstory, not really in necessarily a way that fills the gap completely to the canonical Harry Potter series, but just, I think, gives you more of that complete picture. But what do yeah. I know? No, I I can see that and things like that. I think it just a little bit more confused of, it seems like it throws in some wrenches into the story that we know. Um, I'm definitely a fan of simplicity. And so, okay, you know, keeping, at least for me, a lot of the, Maddie and I have talked about this, but like, for me, one of the reasons I love Harry Potter is, is, you know, you look at like, what is Harry, the Harry Potter world? Like it's the seven bucks. And JK's rolling out has added some comments and some things around to kind of support the canon and things like that. But it was that world. Whereas, you know, you've got some of the other, um, you know, for instance, you got Star Wars, like the world of Star Wars is super muddy with the movies that, you know, the TV episodes, the games, the comics, like it gets super crazy and a lot of content and same thing with Marvel. Like it gets a little bit confusing. So I like the simplicity of Harry Potter. Um, and so adding this adds a little bit level of complexity for me in the sense of like, oh, this isn't what we thought. For instance, the big one was Credence. Like, who is Credence? Like, I mean, at the end of the Crimes of Grindelwald, we find out he's Dumbledore's brother. But like, is he really? Like, it, I don't know. So, I mean, that's where we kind of talked and, you know, about we called Stephen and to wonder his thoughts and things like that on is Credence really a Dumbledore and things like that. And he had some great explanations for us, but yeah. And that was while they were in line at Chick-fil-A and for anyone who has uh, a patron Chick-fil-A, you know, that line can take a while. Uh, so we, we had a good talk, um, but no, let's, let's transition. Something I am curious about is so, so I, I, I am Jewish as we've established on this podcast before I had a really good conversation with one of my lifelong friends who I grew up with Amanda Frankel. Uh, by the time this is released, it will have been a couple months ago. Good plug to go back and listen to every episode of the Creating Magic podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. But I had a really great conversation with Amanda about kind of the values that we took from our our version of Judaism that we grew up with and how they converged with the lessons of Harry Potter and what we thought were the lessons of Harry Potter, certainly. Right? A lot of good talk around the power of choice, the the compelling power of love, the the perils of shunning community and, and trying to do things whether intentionally, otherwise, selfishly and alone, right? And so to tie this in our conversation, you know, Zach, one of the things I really loved about getting to know you in Tampa was as we were coming back from those workouts where I could barely move, we would have a lot of good conversations because I've just frankly never been around, as far as I knew, as far as I can remember, anyone before who was a member of the church of LDS, right? And so I learned so much from you just about just the, the foundational basics of what your religion is and what it means to you and, and, and how you apply it right on a, on a daily basis. 
And so to whatever extent y'all are comfortable, certainly, I'm just curious, because while Harry Potter is a secular book, it, it is based very heavily on a lot of Judeo-Christian writings and teachings and, and philosophy. I'm just curious how, you know, kind of what your religion means to you and the lessons that you really pull from 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 your religion tie in or don't tie in to, to what the lessons are in Harry Potter. Yeah, I think it's a good question. And yeah, I mean, to echo what you said, Stephen, I, th- I really enjoyed those conversations that we were able to have. Um, I think without getting too kind of, um, you know, theoretical and things like that, I think that's a great, um, you know, for individuals to come and have conversation about religion openly where we can, I felt, I never felt threatened. Um, you know, where you, you should, you should have, because if you gave the wrong <laughs> answer, I was going to kick your ass. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think like, it's just good to have those open conversations, you know, looking for understanding. Cause, um, I, as far as kind of my background is I grew up in Utah, which is, you know, the, the stereotypical epicenter of, of Mormon theology. Um, lots of, lots of Mormons there, things like that. Um, the church's official name is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so um, at least, um, you know, my exposure to the world was fairly limited um, and things like that. So it was a great opportunity for Stephen and I. I don't really know many Jewish individuals. And so it was a great opportunity to, um, to you know, meet and show, you know, find out where those similarities are and stuff like that. Maddie's a little bit different. She grew outside of Utah, so she has a little bit more cultural exposure than I do. Um but I know, I think there's a lot of great values. Um, I think at least the big one that for me is that um, for Mormons um, and members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, family is a huge, huge focus. Um, you know, we kind of believe that family is, you know, the basic building block of, of um, you know, God's kingdom as well as uh, civilization. You know, countries are founded on families and things like that. Um, and you know, family, um, is a little bit kind of, you know, sometimes families aren't, um, you know, very set in stone of, of how they function and things like that. There's a little bit more fluidity as, as far as the functionality of family. Um, but, you know, just focusing on the importance of family and developing, um, and having those familiar ties is huge in the Mormon culture. Um, and so at least relating that to Harry Potter, I think that's a super obvious connection. Um, at least for me, I think I look at Harry Potter and the entire, the entire series he's looking for, for family. Um, you know, and he establishes non-official, you know, families with his friends and his friends' families, he seems to get adopted. And I think for me, at least one of the most heartwarming um, instances is where he gets welcomed into the Weasley home. Um, I know that's kind of sentimental and, and, um, things like that, but I do love where we get those glimpses of, um, Harry being in the home and longing to be in, you know, in the borough and feeling welcomed and loved by the, by uh, Arthur and, um, um, Molly, Molly. Yeah. Cut that out. Sorry. <laughs> cut the, cut that section of. He's never he's time. never heard Harry Potter before. He's making this up on the fly. <laughs> he just read the back of the books. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, where Harry Potter or where Harry gets um, really welcomed in by Arthur and Molly is really heartwarming to me because he finds that that family connection as well as with individuals. Obviously, you know, Dumbledore, Sirius. Um, I, for me, at least, that's a that's a big one is the focus on family. Um, I think some of the other traits 
I was like, I took like, the easiest one. But um, I think too, there's like this overall arching theme in Harry Potter, kind of like the love and then like the light and the dark and the evil. And um, I think something that the Church of Jesus Christ kind of really tries to teach its members is like just to be a good person and to like be kind to people. And um, I think every character in Harry Potter definitely has its flaws, but I do like that. I think Harry and like Dumbledore, I think a lot of these people were just striving to like be good people. And um, I think that's just like a good message, no matter like what you believe in, like just be a good citizen to like stand up. Um, I I really love Neville and how like, you know, he was such, he was just not the best, you know, student. Like he had so many weaknesses, but like, I love like in the first one, it talks about how like Dumbledore talks about how like he stood up, you know, to his friends for what was right. And um, I just think that's like a good lesson that like anyone can relate to. Um, and then something else like Zach and I were talking a little bit about today was I feel like her, Dumbledore especially has kind of this aspect of like death is just like the next journey. And I feel like kind of within our religion, like we're, we're taught a little bit too that like death isn't something that needs to be like feared. I hope this isn't like weird, <laughs> but like um, it was just cool. Like me as a kid learning, like, you know, at church that like, you know, like we just don't need to be scared. And then, and then it was cool reading that kind of like in Harry Potter of like Dumbledore being like, it's just the next phase in life. And I was like, wow, like <laughs> it's cool. And those things kind of seem to line up, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I think there's some really good themes in Harry Potter that we can apply from what we learned in our church, but also just can be applied to be a good person. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I, I absolutely agree. I think it's one of those intuitive things, right? Like, Hey, like love the people around you, be nice to others, right? Be accepting. Those shouldn't be lessons that we necessarily, you know, qualify in boxes of religion necessarily, but that's the world that we live in, I guess. You know, I don't, I don't actually know how to tie a bow on that, but, but yeah, Um, no, I, I appreciate both of y'all sharing that. Um, Yeah. that, That was I need to get more people on this podcast who come from different religious backgrounds and just learn more. This is fun. <laughs> I know I, I I love it, right? Because I, you know, I I grew up split between New Jersey and North Carolina, you know, but I really grew up in North Carolina where, you know, in the Jewish community, we certainly were a very, very, very small minority to the predominant Baptist and Presbyterian culture. Um and, you know, we're not my family's not heavily like like scripture religious, but we're for us, Judaism is so much more about the community. And, and that's what I take from Harry Potter is to your point, similar points, Zach, like about being with the Weasleys, about Dumbledore's army, about Harry and the times, the perils of when Harry tries to go off on his own, not out of any place of necessarily selfish desire, but out of trying to protect his friends and his loved ones. Right. He always fails because not to get too high school musical, but like we're all in this together. Right. Like, <laughs> there is power in, in being in concert and in communion with those who you love and who love you. And um, yeah, anyhow, that, that I, I appreciate y'all's y'all's candor and willingness to go there. So uh, thank you. Let's wrap up now because I know you y'all have both been very generous with your time today, but let's, let's wrap up with a couple lightning around Harry Potter questions. Um, so okay. just first one. And then look, these are all opinion based. There's no, 
Okay, I got this nervous. Is, like, no, this time. isn't trivia. <laughs> uh, we could do trivia, but we're not going to. Um, just uh, who is each of y'all's favorite character? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so many good ones. Um, I guess this is maybe, this is going to be something I'm going to say now. And I know tonight when I'm going to bed, I'm going to be like, crap, I should have said something else. But I do really love Hermione. Um, and I don't know if it's just because it's like she's a girl I can relate to, but I just love things that like she emulates this like idea of like it's okay to kind of be nerdy, it's okay to be book smart. Um, I love that she cares about her friends, that like she really watched out for like Carrie and Ron educationally, but then I felt like in other aspects of like making sure that they had everything that she needed and I thought she did such a good job of embodying this like strong, independent woman. But then she also had these characters of like nurturing and loving that I think sometimes people forget can coexist. But I think she does a really good job of like just showing like what a strong boss woman she is. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, um, I'm probably gonna have to see serious. Um, I did love like his character and things like that as far as um, and I wouldn't say I, I've ever gone through a similar experiences as him by any means, but I think, I feel like I had a, an emotional connection to him, um, as you know, the, the best friend of, of James and, and growing up and feeling that loyalty towards them and that he would do anything for them. And then to have, have them pass away and then have Harry left behind, you know, feeling, you know, fulfilling his, his godfather role, um, you know, looking after, uh, after Harry, as well as. I kind of felt for him um, caged up at, at his at his um, house. At his house, I can't remember the the exact address. Yeah. Grimmauld Place, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like caged up and wanting to do more and wanting to help the cause. Um, I definitely feel that because I think um, you know if I were to put myself in his situation, you'd be going stir crazy. You know, He's aka at, what we're doing now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like wanting to help the cause of, of defeating, uh, Voldemort and, and the Death Eaters and things like that. And he's just, he kind of has to lay low for a while and is confined at home. And then when he finally gets out, um, and unfortunately has a unfortunate demise, but, um, I think it was, he's definitely one of my favorite characters. Love it. Uh, next up, if you could only take one class at Hogwarts, which class would it be? Hmm. I'm going to have to go to defense against the dark arts. Um, I just thought there was a lot of like. Defense is teaching it. That's also <laughs> a valid point. Yeah. Yeah. What What year are we going here for defense against the dark arts? Oh, if it's not Lupin, then like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> well, look, let me say, I get that he kind of had the, the conflict of interest of being a notorious Death Eater, but. Barty Crouch Jr.'s Mad-Eye was a dang good teacher. They learned a lot that year. That's true. That is true. I also like, I do have to give it like, I wouldn't say I would prefer the class with the other, you know, Mad-Eye or, or Lupin, but I do, I did like um, Gilderoy Lockhart's class. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. I'm not sure how I knew that, but I knew that. <laughs> I just, there was a couple kids in high school and things like that. You would gladly love to stand up and duel. And so I loved like, that's where the kind of the dueling got introduced um, and it's just kind of funny, the concept that, you know, they probably didn't, as second years, they didn't have a whole lot of, um, 
you know, spells under their, under, under their belt, I guess. And so they just used what they had. So I don't know, but overall defense against the dark arts. Um, this question's hard. I personally would love to take like a history of magic class just because I love history. That's just kind of how my brain works. I think I would have a hard time though with professor Ben's kind of being dry. So I, if, Taking a class from a, one of the teachers in the book, I think I'd probably do charms. I think that would be a really cool class to take. Yeah, charms is like the foundational class for the rest of your life, right? Like, because charms could be so many things, right? Charming uh-huh. kitchen instruments, charming the dishwasher, charms that are actually practical to help you lift things. Like, it is like the ultimate practical class. Um, history of magic is the most underserved class because of professor bins because there is so much cool wizard history like if you've ever been bored and spent hours like i have on what used to be pottermore now wizardingworld.com the amount of just deep deep writing that jk rowling has put together to build this universe that you just never learn about because it's not in the in the series history of magic would be incredible but it's taught by a dead boring guy Okay, last question here. One word answers only. Snape, is he a hero or a villain? Ooh. All right, I'm going to go first. Hero. Oh, this is hard as just one word. <laughs> just to contradict me, I'm going to say villain. Okay, but that's not, is that how you feel or is that just to contradict Maddie? I don't know, like... Can I get more explanation? I know it's a one-word answer. Fine. That's fine. It's not your podcast, but I guess I don't make the rules around here. You can, you can edit. Danny, you can edit this out later. I just have to defend myself. I don't know. Like, I think ultimately, yeah, like, when you look at what he did, he definitely is the hero. But, like, I still say he, I don't know, like, he's still a jerk. Like, and I get why. Like, I get it. Like, I get his kind of, his hatred towards Harry and things like that and his kind of obligation towards Lily. Um, due to his love, but I don't know. I have, I have this firm belief that if you if you love enough and things like that, it can overcome things like that. And I think Snape still held on to the past and still took it out on Harry. Um, and I think it, it just could have been done in a much better and more productive way rather than giving him hate. So I don't know. I really like, I think ultimately one word is hero, but I really want to say villain. Um, I just want to note that I think how you view life and how you view certain traits is probably how you view Snape. Because Zach is someone who is, like, so forgiving and loving. And, like, I understand where Snape comes from because I hold on to everything. And, like, you know, I have so many grudges. And, like, Zach and I even had a talk last week when he's like, you can't hold on to grudges. Like, you can't be angry. (laughs) So, like, I could see where Zach is like, Snape should have just let it go. When I'm like, yeah, Snape, you should have killed everybody that you hated right from the beginning. Um, so I don't know, but yeah, he's a, he's a complex character. That's fun to discuss. Yes. Yeah. No, I, short answer for me would be, I think he is a villain only because if I have to exist in that binary, I think I have no problem with him hating Harry, although you shouldn't really be abusive towards a child, but I, I can understand the manifestation of hate towards Harry. I can understand the manifestation of hate towards Sirius and Lupin on board totally cool where he loses me is with every other student 
because there is no reason for him to be awful towards Neville or any of the other kids that he's awful towards. Like, that's where I'm like, okay, like, this is beyond your personal grudge and history with these select individuals. And this is you just being awful for the sake of being awful. And that's where I'm off. That's where that, that that's my stop. That's my exit ramp. Um, we'll call no, you later. We'll discuss this off mic. Cool. I have like rebuttals. <laughs> okay. We can, we can do that. But, but really um, I, I can't thank both of y'all enough for doing this on, on a Sunday. Not that days have any meaning anymore. Days during quarantine are a social construct, but uh, this was really fun for me. I hope this was fun for y'all. Steven, can I take a picture? Oh my goodness, yes. I just like, I'm so excited that we got to do this. this is, I have to like document this. Oh, absolutely. All right, ready? There you go. <laughs> um, all right. And with that, with that riveting bit of podcasting uh, photography for all the listeners out there, we will wrap up. Um, seriously, I appreciate your time. Appreciate y'all's candor. And uh, thanks to all the listeners for coming back for another episode of Creating Magic. Thanks, Steven. Thanks for having us. Danny, cut it. My creator shout out for this week's episode is to Ravietta on Instagram. That's R-A-V-I-E-T-T-A. Uh, Barbara Rosiak, Rosiak, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your last name. Uh, recently she's been doing some really cool chocolate frog inspired art and cards on her, on her page. Some look to be commissions. I know she did one, uh, of, I believe Professor Lockhart, I think I saw, um, but the rest seem to be commissions for people. They are really cool, really high quality. Um, yeah. So Barbara, uh, whoever you are, um, I really enjoy your work. I find it really, really, really well done. Uh, really nice use of kind of shading and, and color and yeah. So, so shouts to you, Barbara.